Hello and welcome to Broad Appeal, the podcast that looks back at female-driven films from the not-so-distant past. I'm Sean. And I'm Brian. How you doing, Brian? Oh, Sean, I am tip-top today. And I'm super as always, except I'm still sick. Oh. Yeah, I know, I know, and I'm still reading Portrait of a Lady as well. <laughs> Some things never change. But you know what, Sean, I'm sure that though your uh, sinuses may be blocked, your heart is also full because it's a very special episode, isn't it? Yeah, it's St. It's Patrick's Day and we're joined in the studio by my oldest friend, who is also a writer, screenwriter and academic by the name of Alan Flanagan. Alan, welcome to Broad Peel. Hello and happy St. Patrick's Day to you. Happy St. Patrick's Day to you. Okay. Law. Fela Podrick Honadich. August. Alon. Arrogant. Alon. Arrogant. Don't forget, we, we, we don't have subtitles in the podcast. That means, and a lot of money. <laughs> Alan, it is an honor having you here at Broad Appeal Central because, if, if for no other reason than the fact that you can finally tell us whether the the tall tales that Sean has been spinning low these 12 episodes about the hometown experience and particularly Kiernan's, Kiernan's video, video shop, shop. Yeah. whether these stories are actually true. Um, it's very like atonement, the story that you've, <laughs> you've been spinning. You're here to, to atone for what you've done. Does, this, the, the does, does that make you into Kira Knightley? Or, it does indeed. And he's, he's Saoirse, he's yeah. Bryony. Um, yeah. I'm totally Bryony. As, yeah. <laughs> Exactly. So, can I ask a question to Alan? Can you please tell Brian and help him remind me what was is no was Kieran's video shop? Let me let me paint you a picture. It was attached to Kieran's house, um, and it was kind of a small room at the front beside their front door. Uh, and then you went in, and the floor was carpeted. It was very um, very soundproof. I felt videos everywhere, and then kind of at the opposite corner, there'd be someone sitting behind a desk, probably a bit older than you. And uh, there was a TV up above you to your right, usually showing, in my recollection, a horror film. So I would hang around a lot to watch those. May I interject? So you're saying to me that of the two video stores that were, that were in this town, one was in a chip shop and the other was connected to the people's house. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but Brian, you've got to understand, this was normal. Fascinating. So, tell, <laughs> so before we get into the shop itself, tell me about the Kiernans. Who would have played them if they were cast in a movie? What was their personality like? They must have felt compelled as cinephiles, local cinephiles, to do this. Um, no idea if they were driven by a love of cinema or a love of arrogance of, of the money. Um, but uh, Kieran's, so Kieran's Video Shop, I feel like, was the, the BFI to the chip shop cine world. Oh. The chip shop was you kind of crawled in and got some chips and got a video. And it was called Riazzi's. Were they, were they Italian? Actually Italian? I have no idea, but that was their name. Now, Brian, you, you might not know this, but there is a documentary we can watch so, sometime. It's that in Ireland, the vast majority of chip shop owners are all of Italian descent. Is the documentary entitled Green Meatballs, by any chance? No, it's not. No. <laughs> <laughs> but nice try. Nice try. <laughs> so, paint the scene for us, Alan. You are a screenwriter. Interior. Kiernan's video shop. Interior Kiernan's video shop, nice. I don't mm-hmm. know if it ever, was ever open during daylight. Always oh, nice. Always nice. I think it was the kind of place that you went into to kind of just hang around. So you'd go in to rent a video, a process which should take about 45 seconds. And you would stay for a good hour, hour and a half in a room that is very small. The size of, 
a bathroom, I would say. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's not joking. It was the size of a bathroom. To me, when I look back, the, 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 the walls are incredibly tall and packed with videos. Obviously, I was quite short at the time. And I, I actually, something just popped into my head right now. The, the feel of, you know, the covers of, of videos they, that have that plastic cover oh, on them. Oh, yes. Just the, the thought of that brings me back. And what about the smells? The smell, you know? For me, the smell is, it's all, when I think back, it's all about the carpet. I think it's, it's also that amount of like parabens in the same room because all those video cassettes are made of toxins, plastics. I, I imagine it, it was it was the equivalent of working in like a coal mine. Yeah. If you worked in Kieran's, yeah. I'd, say, I'd say many people died of like asbestos poisoning and and plastic lung or whatever that would probably be called. This would make the two of you into the D.H. Lawrences of, of Kiernan's, you know, the, those who escaped to tell the tale. We're, we're the women in love. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I know, there you are. Glenda and the other one. The other one, yeah. <laughs> I could be the other one. Yeah. <laughs> so, of course, those of us who have been regaled by Sean's tales have heard many, many tales of, of his encounters with the films uh, that we've watched through Irish television. Mm. I think that Sean's really hit the nail on the head of, of, of a quintessentially Irish experience, the TV3 film. Okay. <laughs> which is the film that everyone's seen many times over, which would be a film that didn't probably didn't do very well in America, mm. and yet somehow would end up being shown over and over again on TV3. The, so there were four channels. There was RT1 and Network 2, the classy ones, the, mm. the state broadcasters. Yeah. TV3, the kind of, um, you know, bad boy and then teach you Cahar, the irish channel Cahar means four Cahar means four and they kind of government funded uh you know all about the irish language programming but after 10 p.m on all a friday bets, all bets were off oh my god can i just say i've had some of my sexual awakenings every friday they would show a foreign language film it's where i saw loren margot it's where i saw what's that one come undone or something Rien. that's where i first saw press anything involving uh, bare breasts boogie nights was on almost constantly i feel mm. the exorcist i saw in tg car they were just they could just get away with it because it was like they it was like they'd kind of done their penance all day and they were like after 9 p.m we'll it sounds like Cinemax mixed with C-SPAN <laughs> in an American context. Yes, yeah. It was dignified yet topless. Before we uh, close the book on the nostalgia, Alan, I have four letters to say to you. M-M-D-S. I suspect this might come up having listened to the previous podcast. Mm. M-M-D-S. Now, I, 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 I'm sorry. This is where our paths diverge. That does not ring a bell. Was it part of... Chorus's, because um, Chorus was was in my house anyway, the, the satellite provider. Now, my mother hated Chorus. She hated dealing with them, talking to them, I think that's an experience of all mothers in Ireland. Yeah, Chorus was like a television provider and, you know... And a family destroyer. And a family, basically. We once had to get a new remote control for MMDS. My mother came out of it, she finally got one, and she said, they might as well have thrown it at me. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, when you tuned in, when you tuned in for this special St. Patrick's Day episode, you might have been expecting the Quiet Man or Darby O'Gill and the Little People. Little did you know that we'd go down to the fine grains of Irish life. Can I say what is Irish culture except you know complaining about? Things that you you lived with all your life, yeah. constant complaining, <laughs> constantly, and suckling at the teeth of the of the spillover. So I grew up with uh, six channels, then seven and eight, because if you lived above a certain um, uh, latitudinal 
whatever in Ireland, you would um, you would get the spillover from the satellites in um, Northern Ireland. So we get the British channels. I honestly, this is where my sense of like self-importance came from. Uh, it's because I thought to myself, <laughs> oh, is this, is this, this the origin? origin? No, I swear to God, is that I honestly thought, my God, how provincial your lives must be with only four channels. <laughs> You must. You've never seen Shark Week in your entire life. Well, I was I was severely disturbed by um, knowing people in Dublin who got CTV instead of UTV, who got the Cumru, as in the Welsh. Because no. because UTV has different branches, so we would get the Ulster TV, but they would get the Cumru TV. So uh, after the news, there'd be the local news for that area. So they'd be getting Welsh news. It after. all just seems like a free for all. Yeah, but it is eight hundred years. We were deserving of a little bit of free satellite. I I want to know, Alan. Do you think that something about the programming of Irish television? maybe with films that were a few years out of date and, as you say, weren't the biggest hits. Has that all shaped your own I, cinematic taste? It, it, it has, because I think that I, I, I kind of look a little bit askance at quality films mm. and worthy films and Oscar-winning films. Mm. And I'm more in love with the kind of, the slightly trashy, the little bit damaged, the, the over-career didn't quite go anywhere kind of films, because I think that's what we were raised on. But I think that, I think that's, if I may um, say, say is why I quite like this podcast. Because <laughs> I think it's a far more accurate cross-section of film than it would be looking at um, a constant stream of worthy Oscar-winning films. There's the pull quote we were waiting for, Sean. A little bit damaged and it didn't go anywhere. <laughs> just, just what we wanted. Thank you. I wonder if we, could, if we could turn to talk about the film that we're going to be looking at today, which is, Sean? It's Romy and Michelle's High School Reunion. From 1997, starring... Mira Sorvino and the great... Lisa Kudrow. The great unsung Lisa Kudrow. Yes. You have both seen it, is that right? Yes, although it is somewhat lost in my childhood memories, so I will need to kind of stitch it together. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, I've seen it many times, okay? So the plot of this film is it's very <laughs> simple, okay? But I want Brian to maybe say, if you're building a whole film on the premise of going back to your high school reunion, what kind of like plot devices, challenges, reasons, motivations... Would, would people have? So I'm guessing that it would have tropes like people who were popular um, in high school, the bully, the popular girl, the jock, all that sort of thing. How have they aged? How have they grown up? And I'm assuming that our main characters are people who've not done very well. They've, they've not lived up to the dreams that they wanted to have. Essentially, you're right. But this film does take a little glance at what exactly is success okay it's it's one of those films that really makes you feel good about yourself and it also has a few great 90s actors okay i've told you already last night i revealed that janine Garofalo. did you say Garofalo or Garofalo? i believe it's definitely Garofalo. are you sure yeah and i'm taking heard... an italian class well, uh, Garofalo is like the giraffe version of the gruffalo that's fine no i yeah. hope and then Jean yeah. Garofalo in that case and also a slew of TV people that I don't, oh, I just don't know the Cameron names. Manheim. Cameron Manheim. What a lady. Um, <laughs> so Alan, you've seen it, but the memory is hazy. Now, hazy, it doesn't even begin to cut it. Like I have this image of them like walking towards the camera. That doesn't tell me anything about anything. <laughs> but also I feel like it may have become blurred with another film which ran on TV3 a lot when I was a kid, which was one Night at the Roxbury, I think. Oh, yeah. So I feel like that a lot. I feel like in my head they're mixing together and melding together. I think the reunion thing is quite a nice idea of what success is, and I think it's. I don't know why I was thinking about this, but I think all you need to do to feel successful is meet someone who you think is successful and talk to them for thirty seconds, and mm. then you go, "Actually, I'm not jealous of you at all because yeah. you seem to be a terrible 
person. Oh yeah. What do you think the Irish version of Sean and Alan's high school reunion well, would we... be like? Similar outfits. <laughs> <laughs> well, we could we could have a uh, uh, Alan and Sean's primary school reunion. But that's mm. full of bitter memories. Like, and also the school was shut down. The school was shut down, but I'm for legal reasons. So. For really? legal reasons, potentially legal reasons, we shouldn't go into it. Oh my. <laughs> the school was closed. Do we I need mean, to call the spotlight team? It was closed. It no, wasn't shut down, was they, it? They're busy with their best picture. <laughs> <laughs> um, we'll, 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 we'll leave that one aside. And can we just maybe wrap up this first segment by talking about the two women? Alan, I believe you, you prognosticated, you, you yes. put down money that someday... Lisa Kudrow will win an Oscar. It's, I believe that it's going to happen. I think that in the next 10 to 12 years, Lisa Kudrow is going to win an Oscar for Best Supporting Actress. Mm. And then I think if things go her way, maybe a Best Actress. Go I, I, two! I, I, I think, why not? I just, I really, really rate Lisa Kudrow. Watching her in things, whether it's comedy or drama, I think she gives a far more intelligent and thought-through performance than she gets credit for. It, it, probably that has something to do with the fact that the first role that people got to know her in is the quintessential ditzy blonde. But even if you look at Phoebe, Phoebe is a flighty blonde ditz, but also grew up on the streets and has flights of violence, but mm. also can be quite... Um, intelligent and perceptive. The rest of the friends I could do without. Well, you they know, they could all die in a fire, and I would. They could all do plays in the West End called "The End of Longing." I've, I honestly think that Phoebe is probably the hardest role to play. Oh, definitely. I, I like. I, I'm surprised how much I like that character because she could have been insufferable. Mm. Sean, are there other Lisa Kudrow roles that you think people should definitely catch? Well. We all know the opposite of sex, mm -hmm. and I believe she won a fair few film festival awards for that performance. The opposite of sex is a very tart comedy mm. with very unlikable characters. That I think, you know, stands out in her filmography. Well, I think she went on to do another film with Don Roos called, uh, who direct, wrote and directed that called Happy Endings with Maggie Gyllenhaal. And then I think he might also be involved in either the web one that she does. He is, yeah, it's web yeah, one. Yeah. And of course, The Comeback, which is an amazing piece of television. Whether it's The Opposite of Sex or The Comeback or Web Therapy, they're all comedies that kind of refuse to be comedies at a certain point. Because The Comeback, even watching it, is 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 a very uncomfortable experience at times. Mm. And it is, is there are times where you can see that she plays it truthfully instead of playing it comedically because she's like, I want to stick with actually playing a character. Um, which I quite respect and like. So do you think that's what's going to get her that Oscar? I think it's her ability to play, because she did have a, a, a kind of multi-episode arc on Scandal about two years ago, where she played a congresswoman who was a former soldier who was going to be running, possibly running for president. And uh, so that was pure drama, and she was very, very, very good. Wow. Well, let's acknowledge, if Jennifer Aniston can come this close <laughs> with cake then surely Lisa Kudrow deserves the same shot. Um, can we also draw attention to the fact that one of the women in this film already has a Best Supporting Actress Oscar? Yes. If now, you can remember. <laughs> now, Sean, and this is with no disrespect, I actually quite like Mira Sorvino, but then I was wondering, why do I like Mira Sorvino? Because her filmography, I have to say, is perhaps the thinnest and weakest of any person of either gender who has ever won an acting academy award. And I think you might be right, and I and I believe that you're saying that without any mouth. Looking at that list, um it stinks of someone who 
maybe didn't enjoy the industry that much. She grew up in the industry, uh, obviously the daughter of great character actor Paul Sorvino, who so memorably wept when she oh, won the Oscar. That, that was very that touching. That is so touching. So Sean, Mighty Aphrodite, it's one of the weirdest Woody Allen movies, and that character is so weird, so maybe we could put that to the side. Well, Brian, can I ask you, because you'll know this, yeah. remind me who she was up against that year, who she beat? Oh gosh. Well, actually, I can say a couple for certain. Mayor Winningham in Georgia. Yeah. Uh, Kate Winslet in um, Sense and Sensibility. Mira Zervino was oddly the weakest role in that, but it was something about the weirdness of the role, that kind of quirky, squeaky voice that she uses. Oh my goodness. Yeah, which I'd not find It's of. just, I think what's so weird for me about Mira Zervino in that role is she's a very intelligent woman in real life. She, she went to Harvard. She speaks fluent Mandarin. And yet that role is like this ditzy prostitute who's also a kind of weird Judy Holiday throwback. Well, if I can interject for just a second, I think the reason why this film is held up so well is because these are two intelligent people who take on the surface ditzy idiots and give them a real heart and soul. That excites me about the film. I just, maybe a last word on Mira Savino. Her full potential was never realized. Often, as we know, the Best Supporting Actress Oscar isn't so much a career award as it is like a, you know, an arrival. Yeah, an arrival is like go get him, kid. You know, your career is set out in front of you. It's interesting to see what will happen to Alicia Vikander. Ugh, I know. And like, I, I think we say ugh because, I just the think tan, the tan, folks. She was so weirdly tanned. She, she, she had a really weird tan and she wore a yellow dress. It's I know, like very strange. Choice. I could have told you not to do that, but anyway. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I was tweeting at her furiously, putting little pieces of paper <laughs> through her Get out of that dress! <laughs> well, let's see what happens to Alicia Vikander in the years to come. And why don't we, we go back to wrong. Tucson, Arizona right now? What do you think? Ooh, Tucson, Arizona, shout out to my Aunt Tony, Uncle Jim, and all the cousins. Who are definitely listening. Outside of Tucson. And shout out to former Senator John McCain, who really, <laughs> you know, represents... The Republican Party before it went off the deep end. And, you know, Does I, he make a cameo in the film? Well, I gotta say, thanks to John McCain for being such an avid listener to the podcast. <laughs> well, he, he, he bankrolled a lot of this whole project. I'm sure <laughs> he did, he did. So any last words, Brian or Alan, before we uh, jump into the film? I am excited and terrified. Brian? What kind of a name is Romy? Italian, I presume. Well, we're soon to find out. <laughs> All right, Roby and Michelle, here we go. Take this pink ribbon off my eyes. I'm exposed and it's no big surprise. Don't you think I know exactly where I stand? This world is forcing me to hold your hand. I'm just a girl, a little lonely. Well, don't let me out of your sight. All right, now just remember from this point on, we are sophisticated, educated, successful career women. Right, okay. God, this underwear is totally riding up my butt crack. Yeah, hello. Um, we need something to go. Okay. Do you have some sort of businesswoman special? Come again? Well, we're businesswomen. Yeah, from LA. And you know, some places have like a lunch special for business women. 
We don't have anything like that. Well, then why don't you just give us um, two burgers and fries and Diet Cokes, because we're in a hurry. We're doing Tucson later, for a business thing, you know. What kind of business you in? Quite simply, Romy and Michelle are two women who live in Venice Beach, California. It's their 10-year reunion. They're all ready to go home. When filling out the form, they realize that they're not the brilliant successes that they thought they were. So they develop a ruse in order to come back to Tucson and show everybody that they've made it and that they're happy and successful. And hilarity and weirdness ensues. Alan? Weirdness is the word, Sean. I feel like for the first half of the film, I was I was pleasantly bumping along. I was thinking this is kind of falling into some cliches of the high school reunion and some 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 non-cliches and some weirdness. And then Lisa Kudrow started walking behind Mira Sorvino into a weird building and music akin to Eyes Wide Shut was playing. And I was thinking, something's a little bit strange here. At one point I was thinking, is there a dream sequence in this film? But I could not have imagined how long it would... I would say we're talking about 30% of the running time of the film. No, I was, no, I was thinking it's about 12%. 12, perhaps 12%. It's a, it's a unusually a protracted dream sequence, which we see from multiple people's perspectives. Yes. Can we talk about what the point of the dream sequence was? So basically... Romy and Michelle, besties, right? They've been sort of losers in high school. They've been best friends. They're now roommates and kind of marginally employed. And they seem happy-go-lucky. But on the road trip, tension. For the first time ever, it seems. Conscious thought for the first time. (laughs) Erupts between them. And it's that's when the dream sequence starts to come out, right? Because they've said, all right, fine, when we arrive in Tucson, we're going our separate ways. We're not going to talk to each other. You know, you don't pick up immediately that it's a dream sequence. You think, oh, this is just what what they're doing in, yeah, the, in the reunion. Yeah, and it, it is a shift in tone, but you figure they've had this argument. They're, they are going their separate ways. Okay, so at what points did you definitely know, this is a dream? I I seem to recall exclaiming at one point when Lisa Kudrow was in a limousine with um, Alan Cumming and Cameron Monheim floated (laughs) over the uh, sunroof. I thought, this doesn't seem real. (laughs) She literally flew. She did, she did, and uh, and shortly thereafter, because I wasn't sure if you caught it, because I think you looked down. Alan Cumming like just vertically <laughs> shot out the sunroof. No, I missed it. I missed oh, no, he he literally flies out. <laughs> okay, do we, do we need to describe like who these other people are? There are quite a handful of um, supporting characters who have conversation between themselves. We have the kind of the original uh, plastics, I suppose you could say, and um, the a the a group. So Romy and Michelle, they realised before the reunion that they were actually loners and that there was the A group, the B group, the C group, and then them. Right. And so we have this pastel padded group of bitches. So we have them. We have Billy Christensen, who is Christy, the, the main bitch, her boyfriend. And who, when it comes to hunks, he wasn't a very hunky hunk. Um, he was very I, sinewy and a bit 
malnourished, I would say. That was mm. the 80s, though. And 90s. And you know, 90s. Timeline you're talking yeah. about. <laughs> okay, so there was him. Um, who we should say Romy was in love with. Yeah. There is Alan Cumming, who plays Sandy Frink, super nerd loser, and who is also the object of Ginny Garofalo's affections as Heather Mooney. Yeah. Uh, we also have Toby Dumfuck. <laughs> what? Is that her name? No, that's what Ginny Garofalo calls her at one point. Played by the delightful Cameron Mannheim, who I found to be a breath of fresh air every time she appears. Now, what is she most famous for? I believe she is an Emmy-winning actress for her role in one of those 90s TV series. I want to say it was Boston Public or Boston Legal. Probably Legal because Public was cancelled. I loved Boston Public. I, I can give you some information Oh, there. go on, it Alan. Neither. It was the one in between for David E. Kelly. Yeah. It was The Practice. Oh, there oh. you go. Thank you. Uh, with Dylan McDermott and various other... Uh, the, the strange thing I find about this film is that a lot of the actors in it do have kind of comedic chops and Janine Garofalo crosses the line quite well and he's good role. But any of the cast would be perfectly fine turning up in The Good Wife any week. <laughs> and in fact, some of them have. Yeah, some of them have. It's full of those people who are on the line. Yeah. Between... It's a very TV cast, isn't it? TV and sort of the world of improv, with the one exception being Mira Sorvino, which maybe we'll get to. Okay, so I found myself, having seen this film multiple times, kind of like lying on the edge of the couch with one eye watering. I did think this film packed a little bit of an emotional weight. Yeah? Yeah. And Which I, parts? That scene where, there's the, actually two consecutively, where Romy feels humiliated and Michelle has to pick her up. She throws the bag at the couch and Michelle tells her, we were successful and we, we, we have an amazing life. And, you know, let's go and just be ourselves. I find that dramatic walk to Bananarama's Venus really powerful. I mean, it, for, for the kind of thing it's that it empowering. is. empowering. I'm not sure I brought a tear to my eye. What I will say is, that I, I, I really liked the message of the film, which is it's not about being successful, it's about believing that you're successful and knowing that success is if you are happy right now, then you are successful. But uh, what I found, and it was incredibly manipulative, but was I just loved the soundtrack. Yeah, there were so yeah. many songs that are cheesy but emotional, like time after time, that I was like, as soon as I hear those things, I'm immediately going to be like, I suddenly care. Um, Sean, what is it that they pretend to have done in order to be successful? They're, they're business women. They're business women who want a business women special, but also they invented post-its, which as we all know, thanks Janine, that they were invented by the 3M company, who make the earplugs that I like to wear. 3M also make the gloves that I lost recently. Car- 3M? I, yeah, I want to know more about 3M, Alan. Um, I felt like I was I was very confused and thinking constantly of, were post-its not everywhere forever? I feel like post-its have been around since the dawn of time. Well, I think that was the joke. That was a joke, right? Because they say, let's try to come up with something that nobody knows who they've invented it, but everybody likes. But I think that was a kind of a poor choice. Well, Brian, you're older than we are. Do you remember post-its as a child? Oh, I remember them in my crib, in my baby's crib. <laughs> Cast your mind back. Yes, <laughs> yes. Um, so you said this movie was weird, Alan. How is it weird in comparison to other movies of its ilk? There's a lot of moment-to-moment weirdness. For uh-huh. instance, Alan Cumming arrives in a dream sequence with a completely reconstituted face. <laughs> it's, it's, it's like the scene in Alien Resurrection where Ripley finds all the attempts, but the attempts are Killian Murphy. I know that he looks like sort of like Cliff Richard or sort of Rob Lowe or somebody. If, if you kind of pull back and look at the film as a whole, what makes it so odd is 
structurally it's just <clears throat> insane. But I was honest, I was a bit bored in the first 40 minutes. Agree. Of, of the standard kind of, oh, what are we doing with our lives? Oh, this is our plan. And the plan is never good enough to catch your attention. Um, and then you, you launch into this 15 minute, perhaps, dream sequence. <laughs> And then after that, it kind of feels like something that didn't structurally develop as a singular feature film property. And its its origin is is a, 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 a short play or a sketch. Well, so we have tried to reconstruct this mostly through uh, the resources available to us on Wikipedia. Thanks, Wikipedia. <laughs> but, open source. The film is written by someone named Robin Schiff. Before before we figured out that Robin Schiff was a woman, we determined it was either a woman or a gay man. Yes. Indeed, those were the only options. Yes, this is in that whole Steel Magnolias category. Like, this is no other way. It requires a certain chromosome. But, um, or so, a missing chromosome. Yeah, so, so th this character, or these set of characters, began in a play called Ladies' Room, which is set in the ladies' room of a club, which Lisa Kudrow appeared in. It then became an unsuccessful TV pilot... Uh, you know, the same characters as Romy and Michelle, which Lisa Kudrow also appeared in. And then it became this film. Subsequently to this film, it also became a TV prequel, which Lisa Kudrow did not appear in, but apparently which Catherine Heigl uh, took over one of the roles. I'm not sure if she was Romy or Michelle. If in 100 years we're looking back at texts in the late uh, 1900s, slash early 2000s, Romy and Michelle's High School Reunion, the whole... The whole world, that it's, universe. It's a multiverse, yes. <laughs> I, Marvel have signed up eight films. And it basically seems like this woman, Robin Schiff, thought of Romy and Michelle as sort of her Falstaff. Like characters... <laughs> oh, come on. No, characters that had such such breadth of relatability and humour that they, they could encompass, <laughs> you know, so much. I think that the film, it, it feels like it's at its strongest when someone goes... I don't, I don't, I don't care. I have Janine Garofalo and Lisa Kudrow, Amira Sorvino, and Alan Cumming in a room. Let's just do something insane. Yeah, and it's at its best when it just it throws all logic out the window. Because I don't think this, if Robin is listening, I'm sorry, but I don't think structure is Robin's strong point. No. So I feel like just leaning into the weirdness gives its film the film its best moments. Would you say, Alan, as a student of screenwriting and a screenwriter yourself, like did it seem sort of predictive of that whole like Judd Apatow? style of comedy where there's a sort of basic plot but did you feel that there was like improvisation going on or sort of weird shtick at certain points at certain lines it kind of feel like oh that feels a bit off the cuff a bit uh, but also it, it speaks to what we said earlier about the, the random plot threads that seem to be crisscrossing and much like Judd, Judd Apatow which annoys me is the is the the scenes that can go on too long yeah and stories that don't go anywhere and there's a feel of that in it even though I'm not sure if it was improvised or not I think the second half of the film I really enjoyed. And that seems to be where you really clicked into it this time, Sean, because this really got to you. Do you know what? I'm watching the film. I think a lot of my personality to, to, has derived from this picture. I think Michelle is actually the more optimistic one. Mm. And then Romy, while optimistic, is prone to bouts of fatalism. And so I legitimately was torn as to whether I am Romy or Michelle. But I think... Honestly, there is a theme to this work that does actually pack an emotional thing, an emotional punch, which is you want to get out of somewhere that you don't, you don't enjoy, but then you want to go back and show them mm -hmm. how better you are without them. And I think it's not just a school or small town. It could be a, 
a relationship or a, a, a career thing or whatever. So I think the, the theme of returning home to kind of prove yourself is uh, actually weightier than we think. Or I think anyway. Yeah, and I guess that's what's so interesting about that dream sequence because the dream sequence in a sense, gives us what we're sort of expecting the plot's going to be. Yeah. It's parodying uh, how ridiculous and unrealistic these wish-fulfillment fantasies yeah, are. Yeah, they, they win They win most improved people since high school. And yeah. suddenly the limo is in the room. Yeah. So by setting that dream sequence in the middle of the film, and actually maybe this is more of an interesting experimental structural point than uh, we gave Robin Schiff credit for, she basically explodes the conventions, and then you're left thinking, well, if she's not going to give us the traditional wish fulfillment that, like, I don't know, she's the man or uh, she's all that might give us, you know, where the ugly duckling becomes a swan in the classic way, what is she going to give us that's going to feel real enough or edgy enough, but also be uplifting. Because it is uplifting in the end. Like, Romeo and Michelle do... It's literally uplifting because they go in a helicopter. Yeah, they, they do win in the end, but they, they win through this kind of weird way that, as you point out, Sean, involves them being unmasked in their, in their fakeness yeah. and then, like, letting their freak flag fly. Well, as... we should say as a plot <laughs> device that um, it's when, when Heather Mooney, played by Janine Garofalo, shows up, she had met Romy in uh, the Jaguar, the dealership. Jaguar dealership as the cashier only two weeks beforehand. We know that something is going to happen. Right, because, and obviously, like any sane person, she knows that post-it notes were invented by the 3M Corporation. She studied in business school. There's a lot of inventors. Because there's, there's, there's one, fa- like, Romy and Michelle are false inventors, but there are two separate successful inventors because Heather Mooney has invented a fast-burning cigarette paper. And uh, Alan Cummings' character has, has invented rubber that's used in every tennis shoe in North America. So for Tucson, Arizona, a small high school, it's, it's you know, it's, it's, it's done quite well. Sagebrush is really an inspiring school. <laughs> Brian, did you not find any emotional punch in this film? This is often my take on lots of these movies. Did anyone find this a particularly queer film? Like, Romy and Michelle are essentially drag queens, okay? Like, the way they dress, their bizarre hyper-femininity... And then in the end, watching Mira Sorvino, Lisa Kudrow, and Alan Cumming as a weird threesome doing a dance together strikes me as very queer and weird in a really interesting way. I found that in, I found that actually probably the most affecting bit because yeah. it was uh, it was well it was it was Michelle literally going if you want to be my lover you got to go with my friend yes um, <laughs> but also their weird three way dance it was so kind of again this kind of improv feel it was so thrown together but so lovely if if it had more thought behind it it would have been less effective but it was just three people kind of making up a dance as they went along um, in a in a, yeah in a nice a triad and yeah. I love uh, yeah that triad is very interesting or a I- triumvirate really because <laughs> they're all champions yeah but it's what's so interesting is like Alan Cumming has been carrying a torch for um, Lisa Kudrow this whole time and as soon as he asks her to dance and he's this super successful like billionaire she's like but only if my best friend can join us and he's like sure and I was like what a perfect boyfriend. <laughs> After all these years, you still take my breath away. Thanks. So you must be like the most successful person in our entire graduating class. <laughs> well, I guess that depends on how you define success. If to you, success means having a house in Aspen, one in Acapulco, a penthouse in New York, a mansion in Malibu, 
a 60-foot yacht, an eight-seed Windstar, a Bell Jet Ranger, a Bentley, a personal trainer, a full-time chef, a living masseuse, and a staff of 24, then yeah. <laughs> I guess I am successful. But no matter how much I accumulate, there's still one thing I just don't have. Your own country? I don't have you, Michelle. Will you dance with me? Only if Romy can dance with us. That, I guess, to me, Sean, is what I found interesting, because it's like, yes, we'll get a guy, yes, we'll get success, but it's like our friendship will be this kind of constant yeah. thread through the whole thing. And even, I, th I think that, that was the kind of the message going through, was the idea of those things that you do stack up when you're going back to reunion is the idea of what's my relationship status what is my career how much money do i have where do i live yeah what do but, i look like you yeah know? And, and it's 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 those things where kind of where michelle kind of slaps Romy and says no it, generally what you're saying is if you feel happy you are happy not, absolutely not if you tick a, a set of boxes but if you feel happy then you are happy and they had they had thought that their entire lives and it was only when they question themselves at the reunion that they start to feel unhappy because they'd been they'd been bullied in high school but hadn't realized it they yeah had been happy because they felt happy they don't even realize they're loners until much later on i wonder if any philosophy professors have ever used Romy and michelle as like uh to, to teach ethics or to te even teach existential epistemology I or think, something I think you know the answer to that question and it's resounding yes <laughs> well i certainly want to enroll in that class today on thegreatcourses.com <laughs> To me, you're watching the film and you're thinking, they're the coolest people there. I want to be friends with them. How are they losers? But they are losers. But they're a very particular kind of loser. Does any of you want to elaborate on that? I'm, I'm, see, this is the thing. is I'm having trouble finding characters that fit this mould, even though this is quite a standard high school thing. But characters who are not in any particular subgroup, they don't feel a huge amount of ill will, they're just an odd pair. I'm not quite sure that I think they're the coolest people around. Well, I, I, I mean, think it would be irritating to spend too much time, particularly with Romy. Michelle, I really oh. feel... No, I honestly, I really do have a strong differentiation between Mira Sorvino and Lisa Kudrow in this film. Okay, so, I mean, it's about time we talked about the actresses themselves. Mm -hmm. had, had Mira had an Oscar at this point, did she? Yes. yes. For two years. And Lisa still doesn't have hers, but soon enough. Mira Servino does not seem to me to be acting in quite the same movie as everybody else. Um, I don't know, but I want to know what you mean by that. Okay, Lisa Kudrow, as we all know, has a brilliant way with a one-liner. She's amazing at somehow making stupid remarks feel ironic and stupid and authentic all at the same time. And she does all of these things brilliantly in this film. Mira Servino was funny that we were remembering her famous performance in Mighty Aphrodite, which seems to me like just an example to use this weird Cupid doll voice. And then here, she's clearly also using a different funny voice. It's like she sounds like she's from Baltimore. Well, I don't know what she's like. Okay, hello. Like it's, my name's Rumi. It's so odd. It's a strange double act because I think Lisa Kudrow is is incapable of not doing something that is in some way truthful. Yes. Whereas Mira Sovino, I think, did a voice and someone laughed and she went, people, that's funny. I will do that oh. voice. And it kind of, it, it, I, I like the voice, but I feel like it somehow got in the way of yeah. her existing in this like, real world. The voice is ultimately unnecessary. 
So why does she have it? When you say they're both the coolest ones, I feel like Michelle is the cool one that I'd like to hang out with. Okay, so what if the actresses reversed the roles and they played each other? How would that turn out? I think we'd be having the exact same conversation. Yeah. I think that Mira Sorvino probably would have made the same choices if she was playing Michelle as if she was playing Romy. Agree. I think she probably is a good actress. I'm just like... Not quite sure how she ended up in this movie. Well, I've got a theory that she was just contractually obligated to do it at the same time she signed up to Mighty Aphrodite, which is often the case, which is why oh, the great yeah, Bobby Goldberg had to do Theodore Rex after winning make, her Oscar. Sean, that doesn't make any sense unless you think that Touchstone and Woody Allen are the same conglomerate. Well, maybe she said, I'll do these three films in a row. And to she, whom? To some, to her agent. To some movie overlord. To, me, to her agent. <laughs> Well, maybe on Oscar night she signed the contract for this film. She was drunk. <laughs> drunk on the power of her new Oscar. Um, can we just, should we do a like rapid fire lightning round of like other things we loved about the movie or enjoyed about the movie or were weird about the movie that we haven't mentioned? Alan? Uh, I loved the clothes that they made the whole way through. Yes. And I thought that it was, it was very kind of a painful neon John Waters kind of outfits the whole way through. And I loved their businesswoman wear. <laughs> I thought that the, when I, when they walked out, I was like, "That's two thirds of an amazing '90s R&B group who just walked out of that toilet." Alan Cumming in this movie to me was like a revelation. I think of him well enough. He's he's likable enough, as Barack Obama said about Hillary Clinton. But like. In this, I thought he was kind of sexier than I've ever thought he was. With the face or without the face? With the face, without the face, in floating the dance. Out, floating out of limousine, sunroof. His, his contemporary dance skills in the dance scene, especially that part where he sort of lied on his back like a turtle with his legs in the air, were, were, were extraordinary. Um, but when we talk about sexy, Ramon, the sexy little Mexican mechanic. In the Ramon. 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 Oh my goodness. I don't know why Romy didn't just skip the entire reunion and stay with cute little Ramon. Plus, his other colleagues were not bad. They were easy on the eyes and as well. Each other. Yeah. yeah. So as Romy is uh, engaging in faux cunnilingus. In order to get a Jaguar so they can pass themselves yeah, off as with rich Ramon. people. Two of the guys, outside, three of the guys are listening. But one of the guys is like rubbing the other one. I never noticed this. I loved it. I loved it. <laughs> Sean, favorite moments that you had from watching this again? If anybody wants to make a call, I've got a phone. <laughs> it's, it's so great. It, it, this film feels old, but in the way that we can really appreciate it. I remember using a huge old Motorola just to call the house phone to hear it ring. For all my criticism, Mira Servino, she really did sell the following line when she took down bitch girl Christy. You're a bad person with an ugly heart. And we don't give a flying fuck what you think. You know, that was a big line for me watching that as a kid. I definitely rewound that a few times. Yeah. So that is a great line. And that was, that was, uh, and then Lisa Kudrow followed up with the, yeah. <laughs> and walked away. Oh, other thing, last thing. In the, in the last part of the dream sequence, when it flashes forward 70 years <laughs> to when they're really old and they still don't like each other. The the latex in that. I mean, I thought I was watching For the Boys again. I was going that to was say, like Bette Midler and Jimmy Carr. Can I say it was much better than For the Boys? <laughs> I know it was more believable. This film had much much better prosthetics. Well, this is the thing: is that you can say what you want about Romeo Shell's high school reunion, but the fact that Oscar-winning Mira Sorvino is in terrible old lady makeup, giving the finger through a newfangled iPad. To it's it's Skype. Trump. This movie predicted Skype before the existence of Skype. I loved Janine Garofalo's dress. Did any of you? Uh, yeah, she 
she had that kind of she, sheer yeah. material. She's and also, great. And of all of the, the supposed high schoolers, I feel like Janine Garofalo put the least effort into looking anything less than 34 years old. <laughs> Whereas Cameron Mannheim transformed herself. <laughs> Braces. <laughs> but uh, here's, here's, a, here's a, a, a fan theory. Yes. Cameron Mannheim's character is called Toby. Toby. Yes, I would say that perhaps in the script and perhaps on paper, Toby was a man. Because oh. there's nothing to indicate any gender for that character. There's no romantic interest. Yeah. Um, so I just think there was just like, well, Toby can be played by Cameron Mannheim. Interesting. We'll Cameron's to... also a gender neutral name. Interesting. Yes, yes. And man is man, <laughs> and Heim is the first part of Heim. <laughs> <laughs> um, guys, how did this movie even get made? This movie is so weird. It's, yeah. Well, when the credits started to roll, I knew we were all thinking the same thing, which was, this film is fucking weird. But I don't know how I didn't pick that up the 20 times I watched it as a... That's like, why you liked team. it. You liked it because it was weird. I think that's where all my humour comes from. I, I would say, without a shadow of a doubt, that um, the, the filming on the first take of this film began long before the script was finished. Robin was in her room going, I, I better write something in. <laughs> We're at 45 minutes. We have the pilot, but we don't have a 90-minute film. Um, do you guys think, from having watched this film together, that you are now better friends, a bit like Romeo and Michelle? I think I think that that I will stick with the message from that, which is the idea that if you if you if you are wondering if you are happy, ask yourself, do I feel happy? And if you, the answer is yes, then you are. And it doesn't matter what job you have, or what relationship you have, mm. um, as long as you feel happy you are. Yeah. In this triad, am I Alan Cumming now? And you two are yeah. Romeo well, and Michelle. this is why I cleared the dance floor. So <laughs> <laughs> well, let's finish this podcast so we can get the music playing. I've got, I've got, I've got two legit questions, though. Go. This, Alan, you have been out of school for ten years now, haven't you? Oh, longer. <laughs> have there been any stirrings about a reunion or any kind of get-together? What's strange is, and it's something that kind of does happen in this film is that feeling of you kind of grow fond of people over time and and you also have this weird thing of this is just me getting philosophical but you of, of having your instincts about people confirmed so even mm. if someone didn't act particularly nice in school you I have these people where I'm like I, I felt like you were nice and then you meet them years later and they are and you know that you realize underneath there was a nice person and some people you just have a bad instinct for and then you find it confirmed mm. um, so trust your instincts but mm. be open to change. Yeah. Hedge your bets, everyone. Gosh, this movie is, is has more life advice than The Secret. Really, it's it's, uh, it's the most it's one of the most powerful films <laughs> in cinema. Win, winner of twelve Academy Awards. <laughs> uh, Brian, including best makeup. Mm. Reunion. Have you been to one? Will you go to one? I have not been to a high school reunion hall. I've had numerous occasions to go to one, being the senior member of this triad. Mm. Um, I do have one coming up, Sean. I'm not sure if we'll make it all the way back over to the States. I like to think that, to be honest, this podcast is a way of reconnecting with my high school friends because at least a few of them are listening to this now, so I'm going to plead the fifth on that one. <laughs> and my 10-year anniversary is actually next year. I think that what we should do is, as a triad, and just send the, this message that goes out to everyone, um, let's say... In December 22nd this year, everyone gather in Kieran's video shop. Long shut down as it is. Isn't that just their house? <laughs> yes, so I'm inviting everyone over to the Kieran's house. It's on the road up to the track. And uh, we can have a big, just a big party for anyone who wants to be there. We can all watch Serial Mom. Can we also point out that Kieran's also had a second location, remember? What? It did! Yeah. Kieran's too? Yeah. T-O-O. -O. They moved down to the, the town. They, Wait, what? 
Yeah, the thing is, but this was Kieran's Video Shop 2.0, and it didn't have the same spark. Spark. Well, I I hope that reunion at Kieran's does take place. Do you know what what happened to that room? Like, what what is it there? I think they used it for the film Room. <laughs> yes, actually, yes. I think I think Lenny Abramson had been doing some location scouting. He was like, "This is this is the room for us." His first, last, and only choice. He w walked in and he was like, "Smells like room." <laughs> <laughs> I, I just want to say that feel everyone feel free to tweet at when uh, when Lisa Kudrow wins her Academy Award. Yes, um, Alan, what is your Twitter handle for people to reach you at? Uh, my Twitter handle is at Alan Flanagan, which is A L A N F L A N A G A N. Lots of A's. All A's, no doubles. That's how I describe it. Wow. Ladies, gentlemen, tweeted him. He, gentlemen. He, he gives good tweets. He gives <laughs> he very good tweets. Single and ready to mingle. And I mentioned in To Die For those arms. My God, those arms. Speaking of sex, actually, our next film in two weeks' time is going to be a <gasps> European erotic drama. Oh my God, I totally forgot about this. Yes. Is it the Romeo and Michelle prequel? Uh, <laughs> if only. It's Romeo and Michelle on their French, on their French school en trip. français. <laughs> yes, yes. It is Damage. Damage starring Juliette Binoche, Jeremy Irons, an Academy Award nominated Miranda Richardson, and, and a lot of sex, at least in my memory. Yeah. Um, Alan, you also have some interesting projects coming up, don't you? I work for the horror radio drama Dark Shadows. It is an audio drama adaptation of a supernatural soap opera that was on television in the 1960s in America using the original cast, many of whom are dead, but most of whom are not. And uh, we, we write new episodes and we had a new series out last year. I'm working on a new series right now. So if you go to bigfinish.com and look for Dark Shadows, you'll find it. And it is awesome and weird and strange, but lovely and great. And I love it. Just like you. And yes. just like Romeo and Michelle. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's got huge arms. <laughs> um, boys, it, it is, when people get this, it will be St. Patrick's Day. So how should, they, they still have probably a few hours to do something for St. Patrick's Day to honour Ireland. What should they be doing? Well, traditionally, I don't drink on St. Patrick's Day out of protest. Okay, but what should they do? Uh, go to mass, obviously. Oh, for goodness sake! Um, I I disagree with both of those things. I think, <laughs> I think, I think St Patrick's Day is it's it's the world's um, mulligan. It's just do what you want, drink what you want, make mistakes that you've been wanting to make all year, uh, quit any Lenten promises you had for the day. Oh yeah, you're allowed to do that. All right. You can find us on Twitter at Broad Appeal Pod. You can also subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever else you get your podcast. And check out our website, www.broadappealpod.com. Yeah, and if you like what you hear, leave us a review. Tell three friends. That's all you got to do. Pay it forward. A triad. All right, boys. Let's say something in Irish to close out the show. Okay, so, um, Gurramachagath, August Longfold, August Allen. Buy me giraffe. Did you just say buy me a giraffe? No, buy me giraffe. Buy me giraffe. That means thank you and goodbye. We'll see you in two weeks. Ciao. Time after, sometimes you picture me. I'm walking too far ahead. You're calling to me. I can't hear what you've said. Then you said. Second hand done well.